From the pages of Professional Investigator Magazine comes PI Magazine, the podcast. Join us each week for the latest in the world of the professional investigator. Exciting guests, new equipment, marketing tips, software, PI advice, and more. Learn what's new and exciting with PI Magazine, the podcast. This episode is brought to you by... What do you do when you get calls for bug sweeps? Did you know usabugsweeps.com, the number one TSCM provider in the country, pays you a 20% commission for converted sales leads? Stop turning money away. So save time and make money today. Contact usabugsweeps.com today. Apple Investigations, New Jersey's leading investigative firm. Have a case in New Jersey? Now you've got a guy. Visit appleinvestigations.com. Now let's join our hosts and the publishers of PI Magazine, Jim Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli. And welcome everyone to this episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos. I'm a licensed professional investigator based in Southern New Jersey and co-publisher of PI Magazine. Working the board today and hopefully pushing all the right buttons is our good friend and frequent PI Magazine contributor, Detective Jack Russell. Jack and I are joined this episode by my co-host and co-publisher of PI Magazine, Nicole Cusinelli. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Good evening, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. What's new? Not much. I'm looking forward to some nasty weather this evening, but right now I'm doing okay. Yeah, we've got, uh, we're, we're broadcasting from down in uh, southern New Jersey in Wildwood, and we're projected to get about a half an inch of snow, which will paralyze our community down here. No, we're looking at like <laughs> 10 inches, I think. But, wow. Yeah. That's, but you, you're going to get home before tonight. I will. Yes. Thank you. So we got a, a great episode tonight. We've got two really good friends of ours, Lou Savilli and James Partillon, and we're going to talk about some great topics tonight. But before we, we get into that episode, we wanted to touch a little bit on a book we've reviewed. And we have it, PI Gear. It's a great book by Jack Fay, The Handbook of Private Investigations. Nick, you've seen this book, haven't you? Yes, we have spotlighted this uh, book in uh, an edition of the uh, PI Magazine. It is a paperback. It's about 248 pages and uh, some pretty easy reading, so you could probably get through it pretty quickly. And uh, it's exactly what it is, Jim. It's a handbook of, of private investigation. Uh, Jack Fay outlines what any business organization today really needs to know about conducting private intelligence, protecting itself against fraud and employee misconduct, and also understanding and many of today's complex legal and bureaucratic procedures. So uh, you can get that book through uh, PI Gear, and you go to, to the uh, books tab, the and book tab, have it right. for sale. Yep. So this, I'm actually just looking through the table of contents right now, and this is a great book. Some of the topics are arson investigation, background investigations, due diligence. It just goes on and on. Some surveillance, search and seizure, courtroom testimony, but it's it's all from the perspective of the professional investigator. So. It's, uh, I think Nick said 200 and just about 250 pages. It's an easy read. It's almost like the Bible for PIs. I mean, you have a question, Jack spoke about it in this book, and, and he'll give you some good insight on how to handle those situations. So it's a great book. And as Nick said, it is available at, at pigear.com under the book tabs. Nick, who do we got on the show tonight? Tonight, we are happy and honored to introduce uh, Lou Savelli and Chief James Partee. I will. Uh, Introduce James Partee. Uh, James Partee is a retired chief of police and an experienced police investigator and private investigator with over 30 years of investigative experience. During his law enforcement career, he was assigned as a detective, detective sergeant, 
detective lieutenant, and investigations division commander. He has conducted a wide variety of interviews and interrogations, as well as numerous successful telephone interviews. And presently, he conducts investigative telephone interviews on a daily basis pursuant to his private sector investigative responsibilities. Chief Partee is a practitioner of the RESPECT system of telephone interviewing and a certified master instructor for this system. Chief Partee has extensive experience testifying in court, at hearings, and at depositions related to his investigations, report writing, and interviews. And I have the honor of introducing Lou, um, who's been a longtime friend of mine. And I have to tell you guys, Lou is absolutely the, the best surveillance technician I've ever met in my life. I've attended some of his courses. His courses were unbelievable. And I'm not saying that to promote the courses. I'm telling you that I've learned so much from a private investigator standpoint when it comes to surveillance. If you ever have the opportunity to listen to Lou speak, read any of his books or attend any of his training, it's an absolute must because I thought I knew a lot about surveillance, uh, being a cop for all the years and doing surveillance. And I'm telling you, I, I looked at everything from an absolute different standpoint after attending Lou's classes. But uh, Lou was retired as a detective supervisor of the NYPD terrorist interdiction unit after 25 years as a police officer detective and supervisor of most of his career spent conducting investigations on gangs, drug trafficking, international drug trafficking, organized crime, terrorists, and other criminals. After his retirement, he has conducted thousands of hours of physical surveillance doing a variety of private investigations. Lou has been instructing physical surveillance, and that's what I'm referring to in my little uh, talk ahead of time. Lou has been instructing physical surveillance for the past 25 years and has trained law enforcement officers across the U.S. and overseas in basic and advanced physical surveillance tactics. He is a subject matter expert and court expert on criminal investigations, drug investigations, surveillance, undercover operations, and terrorism. His investigations have been featured in magazines, newspapers, internet news, the History Channel, and Lou has authored up for PI Magazine, and we're hoping that we get him to write some more articles in the future because his perspective and insight is just fabulous. Lewis sees hundreds and millions of dollars of drug money, several tons of illegal narcotics, over 1,000 illegal guns, and millions of dollars in uh, stolen vehicles, recovered stolen vehicles. He's appeared on television, news shows, documentaries, and radio programs, and written 20 books on law enforcement-related topics. So, Lou and James, we'd like to welcome both of you to PI Magazine, the podcast. How are you guys doing tonight? Thank you. Doing great. Thanks for having us both. We appreciate you both being here. So, what we thought we'd talk about tonight, before we get into it, uh, we thought we'd talk about a topic that is timely with COVID. And we wanted to break the show maybe into two segments. The first segment, we'll talk about some surveillance issues that are COVID related, some difficulties, maybe that, that the COVID issues is presenting to conduct surveillance. And then after one of the breaks, we come back and we really, we're really looking forward to James, you speaking about um, the respect system for conducting telephone interviews, which is just so timely right now with the COVID uh, situation underway, because I know in my, my own PI business, everything's restricted to telephone interviews. And I think this is a great time to hit on it. And we'd also like to talk about some upcoming training you have. So Lou, if we could kick off the show with you, what sort of difficulties are people having right now with surveillance and, and working under the COVID restrictions? What are, what are you hearing from on the streets? So, so to say. Well, I think lately um, a lot of our investigators, they're concerned about being outside, being contacted by people, you know, maybe getting on foot or, you know, touching a lamppost or, or whatever it may be, they're concerned about getting sick. Uh, they're worried about being outside, and uh, other things come from that. I mean, part of the problem that we're worried about 
which we've we've seen in cases is uh, the fact that we have less people on the street, less cars on the street. I can tell you in New York City, you know, which is there's never a time in New York City where there's not a lot of people out there. Well, one thing's happened with COVID is that there's not a lot of people on the street. Uh, certain places look like ghost towns, which is strangely uh, strangely odd for um, you know for me to see as a New Yorker. Um, so there's a better chance to get made. A lot of our investigators, they don't have that, uh, that cushion with other vehicles or more people out there if they're subjects moving on foot. So they have to be better at what they do uh, because they don't have that cushion. They don't have those extra people taking up the, um, the attention of, of the subject. Another, uh, another thing we're dealing with is uh, we've had several investigators get sick. We've had investigators cancel on us on surveillance. Um, or they couldn't make the surveillance because somebody in their family got sick and they had to care for that person. Um, so there's a lot of different things that we've had to deal with because of COVID in relation to physical surveillance. Another thing is um, we've had less training. I could tell you, uh, you've been through the training. Um, you know, the surveillance training takes a long time. It takes about five, six days to really get people out there and practicing and pushing them. We've had almost every surveillance class canceled last year because of that concern about, you know, the COVID and the restrictions of COVID. We can't have people too much, too long uh, and too close in a classroom um, long enough so we can get them out in the street. So a lot of our academies have, have canceled training. Um, we've also had um, uh, issues about um, subjects. A lot of our subjects are working from home. They're not going out. We're not being able to follow them. Um, we had an investigation where a subject um, was working his second job. So, um, trying to follow him and he wasn't, he wasn't leaving his house. Um, turns out that he was working both jobs from home, uh, over zoom at different times. So we don't have subjects going out. We don't have people leaving the houses. We have, um, you know, surveillance operatives, investigators who, um, can't make it. We've had a, a host of situations that we've had to deal with because of the pandemic. And uh, hopefully that'll change soon and uh, this will go away. You know, Lou, one of the problems I've encountered as a surveillance guy is when I get that case and I usually do, you know, a thorough debrief of whoever's providing me the information, whether it's an attorney or a paralegal or an actual client uh, before I start their surveillances, you know, what I'm finding now is everything they know about the subject that I'm following, the target has changed. So their entire, like you said, working at home, doing everything over Zoom, the entire pattern of life that they've been going through or that they know of for the last two, three years. Now, none of that is in play any longer. Everything has changed. So you're really, you know, really starting from zero on a lot of these jobs where you just don't know, you may know about your target or your, your, your subject, but what they've been doing for the last years, you know, prior to COVID is now totally changed. So that has been my biggest stumbling block is just being able to figure out what that person does every day and how they do it because it's so different compared to what they may have done in the past. Is that you running into the same type of problems, I'm assuming, right? Oh, yes. The intelligence uh, piece of surveillance is so important. You know, building a pattern, getting information about your subject, even some basic descriptions. What clothes is he wearing recently? Uh, what time does he go out? You know, the patterns, the routines. Without having that, that contact or with, with, uh, with our, our clients or our subjects who've had recent contact, all that information changes. And we've had to go back several times, and, and, and now what we can deal with is we don't have people who want to meet with us in person. So we're right. doing it over the phone or we're doing it over Zoom. You know, we're doing a lot of telephone interviews. 
but you're right. You're absolutely right. That that information that we would normally get um, is changing, and we're not getting that the more accurate information. And we don't know what these people and the clients don't know what these subjects are doing now that the pandemic is on. You know, a, a recent case I had when I was doing the debrief, the the client says, "Look, I I can tell you religiously, this guy goes to the gym every day at five a.m. and every day around three o'clock he stops at Starbucks and he gets his coffee, and and." It's a guarantee. I guarantee you that. Well, you know what? Neither one of those activities he can do. So he, he's not going to the gym at 5 a.m. He may want to, but he's not. And he's not going to Starbucks in the afternoon. So the entire, everything I knew about this guy as to his pattern was completely changed. And and I really had to start all over again. And that was, it's hard maybe initially I found it was hard to explain to a client why, well, I'm giving you all this information. You know, why can't you find this guy or why aren't we able to get what we need surveillance wise, uh, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. And you, you know, you try to tell them, I, I need an extra week just to figure out what time this guy's getting up and if he's leaving the house. Oh man, you know, better than anybody. Um, it's so important for us to, you know, protect that immediate set where the subject lives or where they work, where they go to. So knowing if the guy's going to Starbucks at the gym, that's a great place that you're going to be able to start your surveillance or use progressive surveillance. So that you don't burn the house. If he's at his house or his business, he's going to be much more aware of people that don't belong in that area. So, yeah, that's hurt us tremendously, not having those options available to us. Now, Lou, just to play a devil's advocate, are we obviously hear the cons. Are there any pros at all? Um, well, I think the, the, some of the pros, again, is, is kind of like that double-edged sword where, you know, we don't have as many people out in the street. I can tell you in New York City, and I know a lot of parts of New Jersey, there's a lot of people. There's a tons of traffic. Uh, it definitely has helped us a little bit um, not having as many people out in the street. Uh, also, you know, not having that, uh, that issue with traffic or, or other problems. There's a, there's a far less amount of construction going on, which could always cause problems and choke points to surveillance. So that, that is a little bit of an advantage, and um, it has helped a little bit. But I think overall it has hurt us. And I think you mentioned it earlier. I, one of the other problems I've encountered is if I'm fortunate enough to be able to get a guy who's active, uh, it's sometimes it's just me and him. <laughs> I mean, there's nobody else. You know, he's out doing his thing and there's, you know, I'm trying to follow him or, or do a surveillance or stay on him and there's there's nobody else out there. It's You can't blend in when there's nobody else out there yeah, to blend in. Kind of hard not to get made. Right. It, it's, yeah. it's really difficult. Yeah, I think also people, which I've noticed myself, just, you're more aware of somebody near you because am I going to get a virus from that person? Right. Is that person wearing a mask? I think people are so much more aware of their surroundings and that social distance. Hey, why is that person so close to me? Why is that car near me? Why is this guy uh, walking into a store after me? All these different things that we didn't really have to worry about too much. As long as we did our tactics, we have to be concerned about because people are more nervous about other people. Can you offer any advice during like say the planning stage when you're setting up your surveillance or you're planning your surveillance, anything that you, any advice you can give us maybe during the planning that we should take into consideration, it might help us a little bit more, you know, given the situation with COVID. Well, I think now that, um, which we've used, we've used extensively over the last five to 10 years is the social media. Um, people are so bored with being inside and, a lot of the people have gone to social media, their Facebook page or, or Instagram. 
just talking about every little thing that they're doing. Oh, today I'm not going out because I'm, I'm concerned about going to the store or uh, today I'm, I, I bought myself a bottle of rum and I'm going to be drinking today. So there's a lot of information that we find more now than before uh, with social media. And uh, subjects are putting their stuff out there and we need to data mine that information so we can help plan about what this person may be doing on certain days or if today they, they give information that they're going to be going to the gym tomorrow because their gym is open. Uh, so that's one thing that we like is that we, we can get more of that information. And, I, and as we know, social media has exploded. Another thing that's exploded is uh, packages. More people are ordering packages from Amazon and other companies having to live to the house, which gives us an indicator of this person is home to make sure that we have that person at the location where we can start up the mail. So the social media aspect from what you're saying has, has picked up. And I mean, I can even attest to that. I, I mean, people are just, they're all over the place. It's Facebook, TikTok. They're, they literally are documenting their every move. Uh, but in your opinion, which do you think carries more weight, their surveillance aspect or the social media or, are they just truly different and, and good and bad in their own yeah. ways? I think it's, it's good and bad. I'm, I'm an old school surveillance guy. Um, I like getting out there. I, I could tell you I've done so many different types of cases over the years. And I always seem to go back to surveillance. I know that we as, as private investigators spend a lot of time on our desktop. We're doing a lot of different investigations through social media and other things and trying to identify assets or associates. Or what is the guy go pattern? Um, I, I like watching people. I mean, the big problem that we have, of course, as PIs is budget. You know, when I was in the police department, you know, I, I had pretty much unlimited budget. So I could stay on a guy. I put a team on a guy for a long time. As PIs, we don't have that option. Our budget is minimal. So we have to really use everything. We can't just rely on the surveillance. We have to use the social media. We have to use whatever we can that's within our grasp or which is legal in order for us to do it. So, Social media is just going to enhance our surveillance ability. The resources, your available resources, is such a critical component. I deal with that on, on almost every investigation. It's extremely difficult on the smaller jobs to get a client to spring or to authorize a second or third investigator. It's it's almost unheard of anymore. Where you know the attorneys want you to do it with one person. Well, can't you do it by yourself? And you try to explain to them. You know, I can do it by myself, but there's a, a greatly diminished likelihood that we'll be successful with only one person. I really need a second or third person. And as you alluded to, you know, on the job, you know, the sky's the limit. If you can justify it, you're going to get it. Give me a boat, give me a plane, give me a helicopter, give me whatever. And if you can justify it, you're going to get it. In, in our job, you know, it's, it's very difficult as a PI in most cases to get a second or third person unless you've got a really, really well- educated client or attorney or, or budget's not a problem. There's not too many cases budget isn't a problem anymore. No, I think you're exactly right. I remember a case we did several years back for a pretty large company that had a very, very big budget. And they pretty much told us, listen, we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on other PIs to follow this guy around, find out what he's doing with our brand. Is he damaging our brand? So we came to you because you were a surveillance guy. So I said, listen, we can handle it. And they said, listen, the, the budget is, is whatever you want to make it. And you know, lucky enough, it was like being back in the police department where we had an unlimited budget. We could use as many people as we wanted. We could stay on the guy for 24 hours a day. And at one point, when we, we had the guy where we wanted him, 
um, we asked them if we could rent a specific type of vehicle that wasn't going to be cheap so that we could park it out near the guy's house for several days and put somebody in it. And they agreed to it. That's, that's mostly never going to happen in, in, in PI work, and especially with surveillance when it comes to private, uh, private type cases or corporate cases. And I can tell you one thing I learned, uh, especially when I retired, that, uh, and I think I've said this before, I even mentioned in one of the articles I wrote, PI work is a hell of a lot harder than police work. And anybody who says that it's not has probably never done PI work. Um, but the, especially with the fact that there's such a limited amount of resources, there's, there's very little money. Um, you're, you're probably not going to get that second or third person to work with you. Um, you rely on yourself a lot. And as we know, most PI companies are solo people. They got their hands full, but they make it work. I give them a lot of credit. And I've met some really great PIs like Jim Nanos. I'm not saying that you're there, and, but, but it's a fact. I rely on Jim a lot. There's so much uh, information and, and, and techniques and stuff that um, I wish I would have had a guy like Jim to work with me uh, in my gang unit, in my terrorism unit, because he knows how to get things done, and a lot of PIs started to that. Lou, you said that exactly as I wrote it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we're speaking to Lou Savelli and we're going to be talking to Chief James Partee in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to hop out for a quick break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more surveillance uh, during COVID. And then we're going to get into conducting telephone interviews during COVID, which is so important. Most of us are doing that almost on a daily basis. So everybody hang on. We'll be right back. This episode of PI Magazine, the podcast is sponsored by Scope Now. Social media investigations and internet research are an essential part of any modern investigation. ScopeNow allows you to spend less time digging around and looking for information by automating your social media investigations. To try ScopeNow free for seven days, call 1-800-252-1437 or visit scopenow.com slash PIPod. PI Institute. When it's time for some additional training or continuing education, check out the PI Institute of Education. All courses are new or recently updated and are taught by owner Kelly Riddle. Get the latest information to help you stay on top of industry trends and techniques. Go to PIinstitute.com and start your training now. TLO. Looking for a powerful database to aid in your investigations? TLO's powerful database analyzes the information you provide and delivers results within seconds. Solve cases faster, easier, and more affordably. Investigate deeper and solve cases faster. Learn more and sign up for your free trial at tlo.com investigators. Now back to our hosts, Jim Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli. And welcome back, everyone, to PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos. I'm joined this evening by my co-host, Nicole Cusinelli. And we're speaking right now to Lou Savelli about some surveillance, and we're going to be jumping in in a couple of minutes with Chief James Partee talking about uh, conducting telephone interviews during the co- time of COVID, which is so important, and we're all doing that right now. So, Lou, before we switch gears here a little bit, is there anything else you can give tell us or any other advice you can give uh, when it comes to surveillance and, and doing it during these times of COVID? Well, I think that it's, it's just it's very important for us to um, stick to our tactics, but adjust them for what we're dealing with. Um, spend a little bit more time in your research, like you said, and also getting current information from your clients. 
and then current information uh, about your subject. So what is he doing today? What is she doing today? Is she working from home? What type of job does she have? Uh, what, what, are the, what routines have changed from what you got information previously? Put yourself in that person's shoes. You know, what do you think they might be doing? Are they going to be going to the store less? They're going to Starbucks less. You know, the gym is closed locally. Do that research. Get to know the terrain. Find out what's out there. And we did a lot of stuff where we, we used the social media to find out what the routines were, and we did a little research. You know, the guys there, one guy was a gym rat. He loved his gym, but we found out that the gym that he goes to was closed. And um, we happened to notice that in, in our research in the area, um, probably about a half a mile away, there was a gym that stayed open. Uh, I guess the, uh, we found out the owner was kind of friendly with the, uh, the town council, so he kind of got away with it. And sure enough, um, we had split the surveillance one day, and we, we were sitting on the house, and uh, we don't see the guy coming out. And sure enough, he ends up popping up at that gym um, away from where he would work out normally because that gym was open. So you have to be much more creative uh, during COVID in order to make your surveillance operations work, whether it comes from intelligence or whether it's from the actual operations and documenting. Lou, your training that I've been to has just been fabulous. And I know you continue to offer training throughout the year. And, and as you said earlier, you've had to pivot because so many people are, and organizations are canceling training. So as it's related to surveillance, how have you pivoted and what sort of training is available uh, to a, a PI who wants to maybe expand his or her uh, capabilities or learn? Maybe they weren't the greatest surveillance guy or girl and or they didn't do it on the job and they just need to expand their knowledge base. What do you offer? What are you offering? How are you pivoting? And what sort of format are you able to present that in moving forward now? Well, as you know, Jim, I'm a big believer in hands-on training and getting the guys out there and doing it, especially when it comes to surveillance. You know, we could, we could talk about surveillance for months and months, but we really have to feel it. We have to be out there doing it. And I'm a big proponent of practical exercise surveillance. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, which has hurt so much of the the training that we do, uh, we brought a lot of it in short-term classes onto Zoom where we can discuss tactics, we can show videos of tactics. Um, it's become actually a pretty good prerequisite for when COVID slows down that we can get guys out there. And I think what we're looking at right now is getting people onto our short-term classes over Zoom. They're inexpensive. And then that would be the prerequisite that they could now uh, be able to apply for our practical exercises, which, would, which could be anywhere from a full day to another four or five days out in the street where we just run them through tactics and exercises that increase in severity so they feel what it's like. So I think that's been a little bit of a, a thing that kind of forced us to get into it that I was never really into, you know, video-type classes, video meetings. Um, but we're, we're starting to do a lot of that now. We're actually going to run... Um, a, a solo surveillance uh, Zoom class, um, and we're actually working with an online company where we're probably going to do almost uh, a lot of our classes that are hands-on, get that first classroom part out of the way online or through Zoom so we can, we can concentrate on more practical exercise and more street time. Well, what's nice about that also, and I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this, is it now opens up your training to maybe people that geographic. Look, Nicole shaking her head because you stole she, my thought. <laughs> stole her thought, but you know, geographically, okay. maybe some folks that weren't able to come to a class simply because they're in one part of the country and you're offering the training at a convenient time 
another part, at least they'll be able to get something now. And, and if your online classes are half as good as the in-person ones, I, I mean, I can't wait to attend the online one because I'm looking forward to it because it's been a long time since I've had a refresher. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. So when is when is the solo class scheduled for, Lou? Um, actually, let me take a look here. The solo class is scheduled for uh, April 8th uh, coming up. Um, I don't have the time in front of me, but generally we try to run these um, on the Eastern time of 10 a.m. to probably around noon or 1 like that, uh, or we'll stagger a little bit. If we start at 11 or 12 uh, p.m. on Eastern time, we can include people from uh, the West Coast. Uh, in fact, you're 100% right. We've, you know, you know, I'm doing training a long time as a sideline and as a business since 1998, and um, our last couple of classes, we've seen an influx of um, investigators from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We have people signing on from uh, the Yukon time zone. I didn't wow. know there was a Yukon time zone. We got people from Alaska. We have people from Hawaii. We have people from Guam. Uh, we have a lot of people starting on now from California, Washington, New Mexico, Colorado. People that we didn't see before a training that they're looking for our type of training in contrast to what other people are doing in their time zone. And it's helped us a lot. And I think the best asset of it is, yeah, we're making more money from that. But the best is we get to exchange ideas with guys from different areas who have different experiences. And I think another thing that's, that's helped us is that we realize how important it is for us to cross-train. Um, so we've, that's why we're, we're doing specific classes that are opened up to just PIs or classes that are opened up to PIs and law enforcement. Because, as I said before, we're all doing the same job. We're just doing it for different reasons or different people, different clients. We're all doing the same job. And as I think, I think the PI side is a lot, a lot more difficult than the police side or the law enforcement side. So I've, I've always been a, a big fan of, of cross-training and working together. When I ran the gang unit at NYPD, we operate under the synergy model. We're going to work with everybody in a coordinated fashion to get a great result. I can't tell you how many security companies, private investigative companies, were helpful to me that came involved in my investigation in order to take down major gangs that were killing people. So I'm a big believer in that, and I don't think that we're we're not giving out top secret information where we have to have a top secret clearance. And I can't tell you, or you can't tell me, and you know better than anybody. You have a top secret clearance, but we need to work together and train together because we're out to helping each other. In fact, I, I think that you have uh, you have James Partee is going to be coming on shortly, and James is going to talk about that the importance of networking between law enforcement and private investigators. We need to do this together. There's too many bad guys out there and too many people that are subject to our investigation that we should not be trained together. We should be trained together, work together, network with each other. Let's help each other out. Lou, uh, we're going to have all the contact information for the available training in our show notes, and we'll also get it. Uh, I think we're going to do something in the next issue of the magazine also that will have some information on a training listed also. Um, and, and I encourage everyone out there, it's a great opportunity to take a negative where we're maybe – you can't get to that in-person training and really, really make a positive out of it because it's a fraction of the cost of taking time off from work and going somewhere for the training to be able to do it online. So take that negative, turn it into a positive, and I'm sure everybody will benefit from it. When we come back, we're going to pivot slightly and we're going to get James Partee on the phone and or on the phone on the podcast, and we're going to um, talk about interviewing 
and and some things we can do to maybe help us along uh, during interviewing with the COVID time. So everybody, hold on. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by PI Gear. For all your professional investigator equipment needs, go to PIGear.com. Professional-grade equipment and advice for real surveillance experts and professional investigators. Visit PIGear.com. PI Gear, where the pros shop. Need a private investigator in Florida? Look no further. David Ferrante and Associates specialize in criminal defense for federal and state cases. With over 25 years of investigative experience and dozens of dismissals and not guilty verdicts, you'll be in good hands. Call David Ferrante and get the help you need for your case by calling 941-777-3247 or online at investigatoroncall.com. And welcome back, everyone, to PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos. I'm joined uh, by my co-host, Nicole Cusinelli, and working aboard this evening is retired detective Jack Russell, uh, who's working through some of the difficulties we're having with COVID times, keeping everything straight with the podcast. So when we left, we were speaking to Lou about surveillance, and now we're going to jump in with Chief James Partee. And James, thank you for bearing, uh, uh, playing along here when me and Lou and Nicole were talking about surveillance. It's something I just, I love I just can't get enough surveillance. I just I just love talking surveillance with a guy like Lou. But welcome to the show. And if you can, let's talk a little about your background first and then tell us about uh, some of the difficulties some guys and PIs are experiencing during COVID times when it comes to conducting interviews. Sure, Jim and Nicole, thanks for having me. First of all, I just want to say how fascinating it is to hear you people from the East and your funny talking that you do. So you got a Midwest guy on here now that everyone's going to be able to simply understand. All right, we, we so talk funny out here. You're trying to say, well, you know, I'm just uh, I'm I'm trying to catch up to you guys here. Use it's use so, guys. Wait a minute, James. You got to get it right. Use guys. It's, it's use guys. Okay. <laughs> well, see, and that's what I'm saying. I'll get there at some point. <laughs> so yeah, you know, uh, I came through the ranks uh, of policing in the Midwest in uh, Missouri, and I also simultaneously, I did a lot of uh, PI work coming up through the ranks as well. So I've had some, uh, uh, I'll call it pretty extensive interviewing and interrogation assignments is the best way to say it. So with that, you know, several years ago, I got involved with some of the telephone interviews through uh, prison interviews. That's how it kind of all started. And doing some of those interviews with uh, incarcerated folks who were able to help and sometimes willing, sometimes not, uh, eventually a program was developed uh, called RESPECT. And that's an acronym. And, and, and just in a short, to make it make sense, RESPECT are, is the acronym for re- Research and Plan, Evaluate, Schedule, meaning timing and what you're going to do and how you're going to talk to this person, Preparation and Phone preparation. So that P is for preparation, but it's also about what kind of equipment you're using conducting telephone interviews. You want to establish a rapport. That's the E, of course, in respect. You have to, it it can be tricky, but it's also pretty fascinating when you know, because you've done those, you've conducted those other steps, you know who you're dealing with and you know how to establish that rapport. Uh, conversation, stay on task. What what are we here to talk about? Um, and keep it 
pinpointed in all business. And then, of course, you have to know when to terminate, when it's gone too far or it's not enough, and how to uh, terminate. So that's the acronym RESPECT, and that's kind of what we'll talk about. And, and as we move forward, we'll talk about how some of those things can work during this COVID time. So in in hearing your, your presentation there, I one of the takeaways – and one of the things I, I I'm stri- I'm having difficulty with uh, right now with PI work is when you're doing interviews, you know, almost no one wants to meet with you in person. That's almost off the table now. So everything's relegated to either Zoom or or the old fashioned telephone. Um, and and I find it difficult to develop a rapport or to gain someone's trust or just make that connection, for lack of a better word, if you're not sitting across a table or sitting in the same room with him or her. I find that really difficult. How do you get how do you get over that hurdle? I mean, what what advice can you give us or give our listeners when you have to develop that rapport and you've got to develop that relationship when you're really not in the same room with the person and it's it's so easy for someone just to avoid answering your questions truthfully or obviously you can't pick up on any of the nonverbals or any of the indicators that we all rely on when you're physically not in that room with that person. How do you get through that? Well, and I think really the, the the best way to really try to get at it is that good old-fashioned who, what, when, where, and how. The more information that you have and developed, even involving the person that you're going to interview, that's where you learn to build a rapport. So once you, uh, just as an example, you receive the case, you've got two witnesses, let's say, and then you've got one uh, person who is actually your target, so to speak, you want to learn everything that you can. As you talked earlier in the segment, you talk about social media. I'm a big social media research person. So before I do that, I'm going to find some commonality that I can throw in there before I start my interview, but at the beginning of the conversation uh, without alluding to, hey, listen, I've checked you all out. I know everything about you. I see what you're doing. That's the craftiness that we all have to make sure we are, are adhering to as the investigators. So you combine that uh, with, with just that good old who, what, when, where, and how, so you know a little bit about the person and the subject that you are targeting for your interview. And it's going to come up, and the question is, in some cases, you don't have that. That's right. That's where the craftiness experience, and it's not all a freebie. I think we all know that. But the research and planning phase of, of respect is how you really get in there and get that rapport going. So very similar to surveillance, the, the planning and the work ahead of time, you know, well before the actual, in this case, phone call, um, it's, it's critical. It's very important for you to do your homework and, and even, I guess, even more so under the COVID restrictions and maybe before where before maybe you could you could get away with a little bit more when you're doing the in-person one but interview but i guess now you really really have to concentrate on scheduling and planning and and getting that work done ahead of time that's critical i would assume yes that is very critical and that's where that preparation part the p and the, the respect system not only is the preparation really relevant for this last year almost now uh, there have been more telephone interviews conducted, more phone calls to ask for uh, in reference to the respect system. 
hey, give me some pointers. How can we do this? And it is. It's, it's just like it has changed from knocking on the door to now you're doing it by phone. Again, it's all COVID-related as far as what we're discussing now. But it is so relevant to make sure you do your homework and make sure you're ready to ask those questions. And it is hard to, it can be, I should say. If you couldn't tell from the beginning and, and how it is, I'm kind of a character. So I use a lot of my personal attributes to make sure that I can uh, come across as that genuine person. Here's what I'm calling you for. Here's why I need your help. Not can you help me? Because we all know there's a huge difference. Can you help me? No, we don't want to say that. We want to say, I need your help. I know you saw blah, 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 blah. So just examples of that, we're still going to get on it and be prepared to make sure we can do a great phone interview. James, I'm curious about something. Uh, in your opinion, do you feel that the telephone interview comes off less intimidating than the in-person uh, interview? Absolutely. That's probably the biggest advantage because you're going to find that most of your your interviewees are much more comfortable. They're going to talk to you while they're popping their gum and they're <laughs> talking to their kids and all that. So you have to be prepared for that. And you have to make sure that it, we want them comfortable. Right. And we want them to talk. So, uh, yes, it is and can be an advantage. But it's no different than other distractions as well. Right. There's the idea, though, that I'm thinking that, you know, you're not in this person's physical space, which can be very intimidating. And even though, like Jim said, and I agree, you don't have the, the, the positive of an in-person interview is, is you, you can see the person's reactions, the, uh, the visual cues, any ticks. Uh, those are all part of, of the interview that help uh, kind of put together the picture, whether the person's being honest or deceptive, which you, you may not have, or what you don't have with a strictly telephone interview, but I would also think on the positive side, uh, the person would be much more relaxed. So maybe in some instances, would that be preferred over the actual physical interview? I mean, would it always be preferred to have the in-person interview or sometimes go with the telephone only? Absolutely. I th the best answer, Nicole, it kind of comes at what type of case, mm -hmm. what severity is the case, and the same preparation if we weren't on a phone interview. However, you're now going to use that in preparing for the telephone interview. So the concepts aren't changing. Uh, I want to be real clear on that. We still have a job to do, and I'm always going to revert back to this, and I think a lot of us... Uh, we know this, but we don't revert back to it. Who, what, when, where, and how. And I know that sounds redundant, but whether it's a telephone interview, whether it's a in-person interview, if we keep that at the forefront, if we continue to make sure we have done our research, we know what we're talking about, what we need, and keeping it business with a little bit of personal flair, uh, the system really does work. Great. Uh, so can you tell us what types of equipment or what goes into the actual telephone interview? What, what needs to be set up? Can, can you let our listeners know what's involved with that process? 
Sure. Uh, and, th- and that comes to what type of interview slash statement are we attempting to get? Is it a recorded statement? Is it something that we want to document? How about the uh, what we're investigating? Was it a crime on the Leo side? Is it something that's a crime, but you need information, uh, let's say, because you're working in an insurance case, but yet it's a crime. So the first and foremost, do you have uh, recording, good recording devices to make sure that you get a good phone interview? Are you contacting from a cell phone or a landline? That makes a difference. The person you're contacting, is it a cell phone or landline? As PIs we have at our access, those are the things in that preparation we talk about that you research in the beginning. Because nine times out of ten, we're going to get that landline, which is almost non-existent. So it's better to assume you're probably dealing a lot with cell phone. And the last and the biggest that has come about, but there are lots of problems with it from my personal experiences in the last year are the Zooms and and, uh, any type of FaceTime, those interviews. So those are all relevant too. Uh, And just to add, to really make this make uh, uh, come full circle, it's tough. The toughest part, when you make that phone call to try and get that interview, you're trying to establish contact be prepared that that may be the interview because if you call them, they're at work. I can't talk right now. I'm at work. Okay. I want to call you back. So be prepared to call from a a number that they can't detect. I think most of us have those types of of, uh, phone devices. So the preparation uh, is just like it is when it's in person. You want to think about everything that you can do to make this as most efficient from the first phone call. We don't get a lot of second chances, especially if the person you're interviewing uh, has something to hide. Right, so you need to be almost prepared for anything. Pretty much. Uh, you you almost have to be ready for that. That first phone call is probably going to be your interview. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, collections. You know, you get that one one shot, and if you blow it, it <laughs> yeah. James, can you give yeah. any advice? Uh, you know, one of the difficulties I've had with, I'm thinking of one particular attorney that I, I do a fair amount of work for, is she's always asking me, if you're going to do the telephone interview, and she understands why we have to do it in today's situation, because obviously she's under the same restrictions um, that most everyone else is, she's always questioning how do I, how do I, meaning either me or her, how do we establish that the person we're speaking to is actually the person we want to speak to the identity problem? What recommendation can you give, or can you give any advice? How do we establish the identity of, you know, when we're trying to get a hold of John Smith, that we're actually talking to the John Smith and not, you know, somebody who claims to be John Smith. Absolutely. One of the ways that I do that, uh, especially on that first contact is I'm going to ask, details about it that probably that person was there they would have to know so we're going to look at the details of why i'm calling you and more than likely that person is going to know and i have often asked when i say often more so in the last eight months of the covid than the first few it was just something i figured out that works just so that we're well aware 
I want to give you an email address that you can contact me at, and I would like to get one from you. And while we're talking, before we start the interview, I'm going to send you a quick email. Um, and I, I need you to send it back. Those things have worked in the past eight months. Not in all cases, but most, they work. Uh, and then just that good old-fashioned, well, listen, you know I'm an a, a investigator. I usually don't, uh, like most of us, I don't use private investigators. I don't do any of that. I just try to say I'm representing this company, and here's what we need. So in order for me to make sure that I get this right, by you helping me, could you please send blah, blah, blah. So I ask. I ask for some type of proof when it's prudent. And what I mean by when it's prudent, there are going to be people who are, are trying to get off that phone as fast as they get on there. Mm -hmm. And then again, you're going to have to go by surveillance, and uh, not surveillance, you're going to have to go by your research of what you have done to try and make sure you do everything to identify that person. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of, uh, you know, like when you call your, your bank, a credit card, they will send you a code and say, hey, read it back to Absolutely. me. I, I was just going to say, what a great idea. Yeah. That's like double validation. Uh, you're accomplishing a lot. One, you're, you're establishing right. that trust, but you're also getting that person's email and you're confirming that it actually is a working email. That is just an incredible idea. You know, I wish I had thought thought about that. I can't take credit for that. That is a great idea. We're, we're not going to release this podcast now, so I can take credit <laughs> for that. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to I'm going to edit that part out, James. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, what have you found as far as the actual physical equipment? Um, do you? I know you mentioned there's difficulties with Zoom and, and FaceTime and those sort of platforms. Do you do you prefer doing a Zoom type of interview, or do you just prefer just the audible? If you're going to record it, um, just do an audible recording opposed to the combination audible and, and visual with Zoom or one of those similar platforms. Uh, personally, I like to have someone in front of me. So I do prefer me seeing them and them seeing me because then you do get those elements that, that us who have been around a little while, none of us have been around as long as Lou. But <laughs> for those of us who have, what we really want to do is I want to see that person. I want them to see me. Uh, so I prefer if I can do a Zoom. Since I can't do a face-to-face, -face, then I would prefer a Zoom slash or FaceTime. I've done a few of those. They're not as uh, uh, good because there are a lot more interruptions on the FaceTime, seems like, and uh, then would be the audio. Yeah, but, you know, on the Zoom... You, you can't, like if you're just on the phone speaking, you could be doing tons of things and not really be paying attention. Right. As you, as you, Ab I'm sure you've experienced that. So the Zoom would Absolutely. seem to be more the preference of the two, in my opinion. Uh, yes, I think the Zoom would be because then uh, that's the part about it. I think that's where our craftiness comes in and that's where your beginning spiel is easier because now we see each other. So listen, for 10 minutes, I'm going to need your undivided attention. It's only going to take us 10 minutes. Um, I'm going to make sure that I'm devoting myself to. I don't mean to sound rude, but I really don't need any distractions. I want to let you get back to your business and me move on with mine. It works. It absolutely works. And then there are those few cases where it doesn't. But if the guy... Uh, is trying to scam a, a company out of millions, he's not going to cooperate. So 
I think overall that those are, are the types of steps that are more successful. We're speaking with James Partee, and we're talking about conducting telephone interviews during the times of COVID. And James, as we spoke with, with Lou earlier, I know there's some training that's available, and, and you folks with in conjunction with Lou, you're offering some training. Uh, tell us and our listeners what sort of training is available and, and what we could expect if and what the platform is. Obviously, it's going to be very similar to what Lou mentioned, but you know, what sort of training is available and, and what you could recommend uh, to our listeners training-wise? Sure. Uh, number one uh, that comes to mind is this telephone, telephone interviewing course, uh, the Respect, Respect course. That one comes up uh, March 18th. We also have classes that are, are, are really good towards the private investigation field as well. Uh, it's video surveillance. Uh, why do we need it? Why are we going after it? What does it do for our case? That is at the forefront of investigations, going to businesses, going to um, whether it be private entities, banks, just different places. We talk about that in that course. Uh, report writing. Yeah, I think we all know whether you were or were not in law enforcement, and even if it's you're only been in PI for this purpose of report writing, it is absolutely instrumental that we go back to the fundamentals. So we offer we offer that, uh, of course, a Zoom course and that as well. Uh, those are a few that come right out of the of the gate. But, of course, on our website, there, there are tons of classes that you can look at. And we'll have all the contact information on the website. We'll have all that listed in the show notes, and we'll go over that towards the end of the podcast. And, James, you had mentioned the report writing class, and, and that's you know one of my pet peeves. I perked right up, and, and you can tell um, – there's not a lot going on in my life anymore because this is the kind of stuff that excites me. Um, but, you know, the, the re one of the issues I've always had as a professional investigator when it comes to report writing is in comparison to when I was a police officer, uh, my community, I might have had, you know, six or seven towns in close proximity to me. And regardless of what town I went to, the reports all looked about the same. They asked for the same information. They were the same basic format. Yes, the, the letterhead on the top might have been slightly different. It obviously had a different chief's name. But the report from one town to the next, the format was, was very similar. When I became a PI, you know, one of the first things I noticed when, when I would get cases that other investigators had handled is just the absolute uh, distance between one report from another. I mean, they, they couldn't be further apart in quality and content. And I guess what I'm trying to say is there, there's no standard really uh, in report writing. Now, case management, this case management systems out there that are available now ha have eliminated some of that because, you know, if we're all using the same case management system, your, you know, your report information is very similar, and, and, but you still can tweak it. But I've noticed a dramatic difference in the quality of reports when you get them from different professional investigators. And, you know, that's one thing I, I think we could all benefit from if we take training in report writing, but approach it from a professional investigator standpoint, not from what you think you knew because you were a cop for 30 years. And, you know, if someone said to me, I want to give you a class on, on report writing, I'd say, you know, I was a police officer for 30 years. I wrote thousands of reports, I, hundreds of thousands. It seems like there's nothing you're going to teach me about doing reports. However, if you look at that same question or statement and approach it from the standpoint, yes, I wrote lots of reports as a police officer, but I need now to approach the report writing aspect, looking at it from a private investigator standpoint, both quality and content. 
I, I think we could all benefit from that. And you were never too old to learn. And I, I that's another course that I absolutely am going to attend because I've, like I said, I, I've noticed such a difference in the quality of reports um, when it comes to private investigators where I, I didn't see that as a police officer. Towards the end of my career, most guys, most officers reports, you know, the, the spell check and the, the pre-formatting and the, and the copy and paste, the quality of the reports significantly increased than when I first started. But I'm not seeing that as a, as a, as a PI, I'm still seeing reports that you're like, this is, this is what somebody's finding as an acceptable work product. And I think we could all maybe up our game a little bit. And I think some of the training you're offering would, would be a great step in that direction. Absolutely, Jim. That's 100% correct. And the biggest word that really makes that part stand out, credibility. I talk about what it is for you. I make it more individual in that report writing class. Don't be like everybody else. Go out there with some quality. Make sure that your report outdoes what you see on an average. So you're hitting it right on the head. It, it's it's not like police work. It is not having that same form or being able to borrow one from an agency and, uh, like you said, cutting and pasting and changing this and that. It's, it has to be about, again, I'm going to say it again. You guys ready? Who, what, when, where, and how, but tell that story. Tell it so that it makes sense. Tell it so that it's professional and tell it so it's not crazy long, but you're covering all the bases. Exactly. Very well said. Nick, you have anything yeah, else to add? No, I, I, I agree 100%. I believe with police work, it's more of like a template type of report. Uh, I mean, of yeah. course, they're not, they're not all the same because the cases and jobs are different, but and they, they almost seem to want more of a uniformity, but um, I could definitely agree with that, whereas probably a lot more for lack of a better word, uniqueness or uh, creativity. I don't know if it's the best word, but um, I can't think of the best word for that. But with these reports in the, uh, you know, in the PI profession, and uh, definitely more, more is better for sure. Well, one, of, one of the most important aspects I find, and I'm, I hope I don't have to edit this out later, <laughs> but, you know, when, as a police officer, and I'm going to try to say this so I don't offend anybody or, or I don't maybe project it in a light that it's not meant, if you're a police officer and your department accepts a less than high quality, credible report, and that's an acceptable work product, and you throw that out in the community, if there's another incident in your town, there, there's they're still going to get the same product. There, there's You don't have to produce a better product because there's only one police department in your town. So if the person needs a cop the next time, they still have to go back to the same police department. Even if they got a really, really poor report, the quality wasn't there. The content wasn't there. They have no choice the next time they're a victim of a crime where they need a, re a police report. If somebody breaks in their car and you did a really crappy investigation and a crappy report the first time, they still have to call you. There's nobody else to call. Conversely, as a professional investigator, right. if I produce a report that is not credible, is not has all the content, is not readable, is not a professional, high-quality work product, they don't have to call me next time. There's a 100 other PIs they can call in the same geographical area. They're not limited to that police department in that town. And that's why I think it's so critical for us to produce a really, really good work product because your client doesn't have to call you next time. 
they can go on to the next investigator they find on Google or the next referral to an investigator that the attorney down the street has been using because I didn't produce a good work product. As a police officer, you, you might be able to get by with with that. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to say that in a negative aspect. That It's just the reality of, of the way things are is if you don't produce a good report, they're still going to have to call you next time. But as a PI, that's not the case. Yes, that's absolutely. And to elaborate on that, because you are, you're dealing with your customers slash your clients. Uh, for the most part, you're dealing with professionals and you want that professional product and for them to say, yep, we're calling that guy back every time. It tr- your report truly is a reflection on you as a person, but more importantly on what the quality of your, your business is and, and what you put out there as an acceptable product. Absolutely. So James, when we, as we're winding up here, can you give us either you or Lou, um, and I'd rather talk to you than Lou. I mean, Lou's been quiet and that's been fine with me. (laughs) You don't, there's not too often that Lou's quiet. So this is, you know, this has actually been enjoyable. Give us the contact information and the website. And if you can just rehash and go over maybe some of the courses that are available that are coming up. And again, we'll have all this information in our show notes and we are going to have that uh, in an upcoming issue of PI Magazine so folks can um, view it. And we really personally, I'm telling you, I encourage everyone out there, Lou's classes and James, your, your class, I'm sure. I haven't attended anything that you've instructed yet, but I'm going to. But I'm sure if it's of the same quality as, as Lou's, and I'm sure it is, it, it's enjoyable and it'll be useful. And I don't think there's anybody out there that's going to be disappointed. Jimmy, go ahead, can I, Lou. Can I break in there? Sure. Well, I think since since we have, um, you know, we're three of us from the East Coast, and I think nobody understands anything about James's accent <laughs> from, from the Midwest. Um, I think I'm probably better off the one relating that information to the rest of us in the world that speak English <laughs> in contrast to those who are from Missouri originally. Um, although James is funny, and I will tell you that the training, uh, the training that James does is, is, is our, without a doubt, our number one sort after training. He's funny, he's interesting, he's dynamic, and he speaks to people like, like he's their best buddy, and that's what's very important. In fact, you know, we asked James to speak to our other instructors on, on doing the same thing. Because we all we all feel we're no better than anybody else, and that we're all in this together. And then we want them to talk to each other like they're talking to their teammates or their friends. Uh, James does that very well. Uh, a website which has got you know the class we talked about uh, specifically for PIs and professional investigators uh, like PIs, but there's other classes that they they can join in on um, that they don't have to be a law enforcement officer. There are some classes that. Um, depending on if it's an undercover officer that we would have only law enforcement officers allowed and we would vet them. But most of our classes are available for uh, the professional investigators, uh, and they can find them on www.homefrontprotect.com. That's www.home, F as in Frank, R-O-N-T, P-R-O-T-E-C-T.com. All of our classes are on there. Um, we have a lot of Zoom classes. We're adding probably 20 more classes um, starting um, March 30th to probably around uh, May 30th and then going on through the rest of the year. But we're adding another 30 classes over the next few months. So we'd love to have them out. Great. And Lou, all the contacts should go through the website. That's the best way? Yeah. And the good thing about the website, if they have any questions, they can email us on our contact page on the website. Uh, there's a link to every class. They can download the flyer. Um, they can get the information on the time, 
So all the information is, is out there, a description, uh, the instructor's bio, outline topics, and stuff like that. So we try to make it easy so it's kind of a one-stop shop for that class without having to ask a lot of questions or go somewhere else. Lou and James, any parting words to our listeners before we wrap up the show? Yeah, I would just like to say, <laughs> thanks, Lou. I would just like to say thank you for having me on the show. I look forward to meeting some of you in the classes. We'll make sure that we break bread <laughs> and get some good instruction in on what we can do better, and like Lou said, as a team. Leo, P.I., we're all the James, it's been a pleasure. And I have to ask you, have you ever had a Philly cheesesteak? <laughs> I have. Okay. Oh. Very kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank we you both. Stop talking about food in the Midwest. It's not really food. <laughs> we really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks for Thank having Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Jimmy, for having us. We're going to wrap up this episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests and remind everyone to check out the show notes for all of this show's guest contact information and website information. My thanks to co-host Nicole Cusinelli and board operator Detective Jack Russell for another great episode. Remember to visit PIMagazine.com and PIGear.com and support the advertisers and friends who support our profession and make this show possible. Join us next week for another episode of PI Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Nanos, and until then, remember, stay professional and keep investigating. Keep investigating.